following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. So this, this is a topic, which is actually a very serious topic. Um, Alan, you hear that? It's a very serious topic. Very serious in the sense of, you know, people, uh, you know, a lot of jokes about it. People tend to have fun. And, and in what I've learned in preparing for this, Session is even in the Jewish community. There's a, there's many cases. I, originally, when I was preparing the class, so I, I googled transgender and halacha and Jewish law, and what came up was I, I, there's this rabbi in Boko who gave the class. I called him. He told me he had a few cases in his congregation, Orthodox rabbi. He told me he called this international rabbi who deals with Jewish law extensively and he said he gets this question now three times a week he's been getting you know this question wow. so it's a serious issue this is just to show you this is Alan before and after this is a picture of a Hasidic gentleman his name was um, I'm not sure which is the before and after but it's uh, his name was Srili Stein he's <laughs> looking I don't want to ruin your evidence. Um, so he was. Can you still count the one? Can you still count it as part of the minion? I think we're going to get there. That's oh, so anyway, his name was originally Srilly Stein. His, his current name so is Abby, Abby guy, Stein. He, he was a male. Hasidic. Hasidic. Decided he wanted to be more of a female. Yes. He decided. He didn't decide. He was. You know, he was just genetically predisposed to... Uh, we'll get to that. Depends on who you ask. Okay. So anyway, this is the picture. Um, so it's, it's a real issue. It needs to be addressed, something that, um, as a rabbi, surely needs to be addressed. But the question... Wait, a rabbi needs somewhere address. That's what I thought he said. The bottom line is, uh, so, it's, so it's, a, it's a confusing issue, and I think the, the jury is still out as far as medically, and we'll discuss that a little, um, what, the, what exactly is going on. Um, so I'm going to start with just a non-medical interpretation from Wikipedia, um, interpretation of the word transgender, because what I want to point out is, is really, I think, it's not just us who's confused, everyone, a lot of people are confused exactly about what transgender is. So. So Wikipedia says like this, Wikipedia translates transgender, right? As uh, transgender people are people who experience a mismatch between their gender identity or gender expression and their assigned sex. Okay, so, so when, of course when we say, when they say assigned sex, that means yes, signed by God, what they were signed by God. Okay, um, may include people who are not exclusively masculine or feminine, feminine, people who are gender queer, bigender, pangender, gender fluid, or agender. Other definitions of transgender also include people who belong to a third gender. We'll see what that means. Or conceptualize transgender people as a third gender. Inf infrequently, the term transgender is defined very broadly to include cross-dressers. That's not. <coughs> that's not. That's not entirely. Okay, infrequently. Being transgender is independent of sexual orientation. Transgender people may identify as heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, asexual, or may consider conventional sexual orientation labels inadequate or inapplicable. Or inapplicable. The terms transgender can also be distinguished from intersex, a term that describes people born with physical sex characteristics that do not fit typical binary notions of male or female bodies. Okay, so that's so. As you see, the even Wikipedia is confused as to the exact meaning of transgender. So, so we're going to try to figure this out. But the, the key question, as we're going to see, because before that, before we define the question, is what's amazing is there's really nothing, there's a saying from King Solomon in Proverbs, there's nothing new under the sun. So believe it or not, even the, um, this, people think it's something that started in the, in the recent future, as we're going to see. Um, from many Jewish texts and sources that this is, there's nothing new. This existed for thousands of years, some extent or form. Um, and, and the halacha deals with it and discusses it. Jewish law does discuss it in various um, contexts, as we'll see. Um, so there I found over 100 references, I didn't find any research, in the Talmud. I mean, in the Torah itself, there's no mention, obviously, of something like this, but, but the Talmud does refer to two distinct categories um, of people. One is what the Talmud calls a tumtum, 
um, which is not so uncommon. It's, uh, it's um, what I've read in medical journals, it's, it's one in 100,000 children even today are born with what we call ambiguous genitalia. No, that's not different than hermaphrodite. It means that they're born with some, uh, since lunchtime, I don't want to get too graphic here, but, but um, some form of, uh, you know, something protruding in their genitalia, but it's not clear if it's male genitalia, female, or sometimes just a flap of skin um, externally, um, and, the, and the doctors are not sure whether the child is male or female. Um, so initially, I mean, again, this is from the Talmud's time. In contemporary medicine, it used to around 15, 20 years ago, they would, it's a lot easier, of course, if a child's born like that, just to snip and cut and make them into a female. It's always easier to go female than male. Like, it's a lot easier to snip and cut than to build. So, so, uh, so the medical community generally would just make them into females until around 15, 20 years ago, they, they realized that it's not necessarily a good thing for these kids because many of them were really males and now they're growing up as females. And so they, they now it's usually viewed as a case-by-case -case basis as to how, which way to go um, based on chromosome tests, etc. Um, so that's, that's what's called a tumtum. And tumtum literally means stuffed up, meaning it's not clear. Again, are they male or female? And then there's another mention in the Talmud in many, many contexts of what's called an androgynous, which is what we in English term is androgynous. It's a Greek term. comes from the Greek word, which is a hermaphrodite. It means someone who has both um, sets of genitalia. They have male and female genitalia. Okay, that's androgynous. Um, now, this, this is obviously very different than transgender in the sense of uh, these, these um, people are born with this. They're, they're medically born with external male and female characteristics. Um, when you're dealing with someone with transgender, there's a whole different story in the sense of they have one set of, of either male or female um, genitalia. The question is just they perceive themselves or as, as the opposite gender. Okay, so that's very different. There's no external characteristics which are saying that they're the opposite gender. It's purely, say, say um, it might be hormonal, might be um, internal, and even chromosomal in some cases. Um, and certainly, it's psychological also. So, and we'll discuss that. Okay. So that's so. There's, so see, even though the Talmud discusses again, Jewish law discusses extensively these other two categories. Um, transgender is, in a certain sense, very different in the sense that there's no external signs of what uh, of the opposite gender. Okay, so now the, the key question which needs to be defined obviously is how you define gender. How does any legal system need to do that? And that I think in Western society today is, this is what the courts are struggling with, um, meaning in the sense of told us this um, it was obviously the recent ruling, but there's very little precedence in American courts as to how to define gender. We're talking about clearly for sure Pre, um, without any surgery being done, without any gender reassignment being done, even clearly in the case of transsexuals, um, the only uh, the recent ruling, as we know, was was a federal ruling about um, discrimination, including transgender in discrimination. That and, and the memo sent out by the federal government to all public schools in the country, stating that they have to accommodate um, and allow uh, the students to use the restroom, which they identify with of the gender they identify with, as opposed to what there anatomically exists. Okay, so that, that's the recent ruling, but then again, that doesn't, it's not defining gender in any, gender in any which way. Um, it's not, uh, I don't know if that's considered a legal precedent as defining gender. Um, even in cases of where there's gender reassignment, where surgery was done, the still, um, there's very, very little, as we'll see, legal precedent in United States court systems, at least. Okay, so, so the question, but what it boils down to, and halacha also, in Jewish law, like in any other legal system, gender has to be defined. You have to have a specific definition of how you define gender. And as there are many factors in defining gender. There's obviously the outward genitalia. There's sexual orientation. There's hormonal or genetic makeup, chromosomes. There are many ways, and especially with, uh, with in current medicine, with our new technologies, and how to define gender. And the question is, what's going to be the defining um, legally and halakhically, um, what defines gender. Okay, so like I said, legally there's really not much precedent. 
um, to speak of, so we're going to focus more on the Jewish aspect from Jewish texts. But um, so uh, the first time I gave a, this class was actually around 15, 14 years ago, and on transgender was a, a class on. Then, then they called it sex change. Now you don't, they don't use that term anymore. It's now gender reassignment surgery. Um, I don't know why the what, what was the matter of sex change, but. The terms are becoming more politically correct. So it was actually for a, a it was the first Yad event in Houston. The Federation has just started Yad, and there was there was a panel of four rabbis. It was Reform, Conservative, Orthodox, and Chabad. Not sure why Chabad is considered a different denomination, but the Federation considers it a different <coughs> denomination. But in any case, so I was the Orthodox rabbi um, on the panel. It was it was actually it was the name of the session. Anyone remembers? You you were you, you were not even Yad then. You were too old. I think you weren't even young professional uh, 15 years ago, but it was, uh, it was called Rabbis and Raw Fish, Sushi Event. Anyway, whatever the case was, so my introduction there when I got up, it was, you know, everyone was talking about these boring, it was medical ethics topics. Everyone spoke for 10 minutes, and then the other rabbis of the other denominations, you know, gave their view on that same topic. So I explained then, and it's still the same introduction for this class, which is that the cancer, the question, to a large extent, of in halacha, in Jewish law, of what, what of how you define gender is really only relevant as an Orthodox rabbi, because obviously in, a, in reform and conservative um, or reconstructionist, there's no it, you can be male, you can be female. It's all you know. There's no mechitza. There's no there's no difference really in roles as far as gender is concerned. Um, it's only within, within traditional Judaism and Orthodoxy where there's a difference in, in roles. So that's where it comes up more. Obviously, it's it's today. It's all different topic, and it's much more relevant. Um, in just in practical practical aspects, um, but again, so I put down a few of the questions here, just from the from the Jewish perspective. What um, what would the applications of the question? So we're going to since we're eating lunch now, we're going to skip skip this circumcision question. I'm going to skip that one, but we'll get to the next one. So so the uh, the the question here. This by the way, these questions are again relevant to transgender and some of them, as we'll see, all specifically to post-surgery, if someone has a gender reassignment surgery, um, how do we consider them? Uh, did we, does would Jewish law view them as they change their gender, their new gender, or their, um, their original gender? Uh, Pre-surgery or post-surgery? Yeah, post-surgery. Pre post right. yeah. okay. They're both, I'm saying these questions are both relevant. Um, so one, one interesting question that I saw discussed is the question of the divorce. Again, so you know with Jewish law, you need to get a what's called a get, which is a document of divorce given besides the civil divorce. So the question becomes, um, this is, uh, yes, relevant, say post, let's first discuss the post-surgery question. Someone has gender reassignment surgery, so the question then becomes, are they still legally married? Because even though our Supreme Court says you're legally married, but in Jewish law, um, at least in, in traditional Torah law, uh, you're not, the marriage is not legal. Okay, there's no, you can't marry someone of the same gender. So the question is, if you, if someone's married, happily married, and maybe not so happily married, and then their wife changes genders, now is male, so are they required to have a get? I would think that's a reason for annulment. <laughs> okay. Not, what do you mean? not even divorce, because um, I'm not 100% sure, but I think if you get married and there's some blatant undisclosed fact, like the woman's having an affair or something like that, you can uh, no, avoid the marriage. No, that's not true. The, the only reason for annulment would be if at the time of the marriage, I think we discussed this in the past, there was something that, let's say, wasn't disclosed. Let's say, that would, an example of that would be, like let's say, at the time of the marriage, she forgot to tell you that she was really male. Right. Like she's having gender identity issues. Right, right. Well, something which is, once I explain, explain the criteria. You can't give a get if me and my wife, if I decide I'm a female, the male gives the get, there's no more male in this relationship. That's the question. So you can never get Well, that's part of the issue here, so it's a good point. But let me address David's issue first. So the question is, meaning, so the only time you have an annulment, which was a retroactive annulment, would be when it was something at the time of the marriage that wasn't disclosed. That should have been disclosed. It needs full disclosure. So let's say she was really. So let's she say should disclose she had, male. Right. That's exactly. So meaning no. I'm saying if she, let's say she had gender reassignment surgery. Even that. Let's say she originally was male. Now she's female. Right. Um, right. So, okay. so I actually one. You know, originally I was doing this class. You know, before I realized it's a serious issue, and I, so I, was, I always usually put a funny cartoon in the front. And I realized this class I shouldn't do that. Um, but one of the cartoons I saw was 
you know, like the guy gets married, he's in the honeymoon suite, and she turns to him, she goes, do you want to see the before picture? And she, you know, she was really male, so, so, the, so, the, so that would be grounds for annulment, um, meaning retroactive, because that's obviously, that's a disclosure issue. Here, the question would be, so there's no retroactive, no, it's meaning she became, let's say it was a she, she became a male today. So when they were married, it was a valid marriage. The question is, is do I need to get today, or is it annulled from today and on? That would be the question. But it's not a retroactive annulment because she was a female when you married her. Okay. Or the opposite, by the way, it would work both ways. I mean, if she, let's say, the husband became female. So, so, so that's a that's a, a question. So, which, believe it or not, is one of the things I found in doing research for this amazing stuff. It was they found a response in written in the 1700s by the chief rabbi of Baghdad. His name was Yosef Palaji, who was asked this question. Um, this guy doesn't say the details of how it happened, but says this guy came to the rabbi one morning to bed him. Says um, my wife married for a long time, and one morning my wife wakes up and she's male. <laughs> doesn't say, doesn't play the details. Has yeah, okay. Um, so, so the question is. So the question was, does she need a get? Um, so that was so the rabbi ruled that she does not need a get. She doesn't need to get divorced because. Well, she's a he, right? She, she yeah, a she's, she's a he. Not he. So, yes, so the, the couple does not need to get divorced because it's an all, as, you, as you're saying. The reason he says is because, according to the Torah, camp two males camp is not a valid marriage. So once you now that she's male, you're married to a male, and then you're no longer married. The marriage is automatically annulled. His proof is this. He brings an interesting proof. He says, his proof is from, he says, Elijah the prophet. Um, <laughs> he says like this because uh, he said, that actually, this was a question posed many years ago. That Elijah, as we know, the story of Elijah is that he, he never died. He went up as a fiery angel to heaven. So the question was, does Elijah's wife need to get? She in Aguna, she's stuck in this position. Her husband didn't die. He's not dead. And she never got to get. So can she remarry? This was a question posed uh, to the, the early authority, uh, Sefer Trumas in the probably 1100s, 1100s, and he said she doesn't need it. She doesn't need to get divorced. Why? Because, because she's married to an angel. You can't be married to an angel. It's not a valid marriage. So the marriage is automatically annulled. So he says the same thing here. If you're married, if one day you wake up and your wife's a man, so you're no longer married. That's his proof. That's a okay. <laughs> Alan, you're being very quiet. I'm uh, <laughs> stunned by the. Okay, so so that's that's one issue. Um, does, um, if they had children, does that affect the the ruling? It's irrelevant. Okay. The children, yeah, I'm saying the children are old. You can still again. We're not saying the marriage is annulled retroactively. Marriage is annulled from this day on. So whatever children they have a valid child. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they were married. So it's only from this day on. So another other issues would be obviously as you mentioned within traditional Judaism, um, only males are counted in a minion. So the question would be, um, someone has a surgery. Can we go back or, to the gap for a second? Sure. So Alan asked a valid question yes. about what if it's then the change is it's now two women. Then who gives the gap? No, so it's insane. It wouldn't be the same thing. Two it, it members of you two don't members need to get at all. In, in halacha, two members of the same gender can't be married. Yeah, but you can't so now. there's no valid marriage. So after the marriage, though, no, say post the marriage, there's a sex change. Yeah, right. that's what we're talking about. So no, it's meaning, let's say today, a, 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 either part of the couple has a sex change. That means now you have, we'll have two the same gender married to each other. Halachically, that's an impossibility. So therefore, automatically, the marriage will be annulled, is what we're saying. Since it's a halachic impossibility, so hey, now correct. they're not married. If they're both female, whoever the pitcher is has to give a get. Okay, go. <laughs> well, just to be just to clarify, in modern orthodoxy, there are no same-sex marriages. Yes. There are. There are not. In, are in not. other in other denominations, there are. The Reform and conservative does now does recognize same-sex marriage, or orthodoxy does not. Okay. So. Um, so that's so yeah. So another question I put down there, what I can get into is, of course, as we know, in, in again in, in traditional liturgy, the, depending on your gender, you make a blessing in the morning. So there's a very controversial blessing for the males make, which is you 
thank God for not making me a woman. I'm sure you've heard about this. Some people don't make them. So the question is, if you're transgender and you don't, obviously you don't want to, you, you pick your woman. So do you make that blessing or the opposite? What blessing do you make post-surgery or even pre-surgery? How does that work? That's a interesting question, which this response actually in the, in the Chief Rabbi Bagdad did address that there. Same question of the blessing. Um, and he does, he actually formulates a new blessing for someone like that, which I don't remember the exact language. He, new wording, which he does. It's interesting, um, interesting new blessing. I, don't know, I can look it up in a second. But so again, the question, the next question would be counting in a minion. Um, again, the question would be transgender and for post a post surgery where you're a reassignment surgery. Do, does Jewish law consider them male or female? How do we view them um, at that point? And can we count them in the middle? So it boils down to the same question. Um, there's another concept within traditional Judaism. Within, uh, in, I don't know how it applies in other denominations, but the question is, women are exempt from time, any time-bound mitzvah. Any time-bound commandment, um, let's say tefillin, where it doesn't mean they can't do it, but it's optional. For a female, a male, it's obligatory. So the question then becomes, what happens if someone has a surgery or someone perceives themselves as female? Are they obligated to do those mitzvot? Can they, do they, are they obligated to wear the and etc. and all those other, uh, other mitzvot that are time-bound? Now, in the last one, which is the question, the mechitza question. So what happened to the decision about accounting him in the... No, so there's no decision. I'm just listing the question. No, I, I just asked him question. We'll get okay. to the punchline. Okay, sorry. I don't, want to, I don't want to say the punchline right now, then I want to leave. So the, so the question is another, the the, uh, the issue is a, is a question now, it sounds like it's just the same question of gender. How do we define the gender? Is this male or female? Mechitza right? is within uh, orthodox synagogues. Men and women sit separately on two sides. There's like a separation um, between them, and they sit on different sides of the wall. So the... Alan, it's terrible. Oh, it's possible. It's possible. So, uh, so the issue is. So, this is interestingly enough. Um, this is a different issue, really, because mechitza issue is not. It's really nothing to do with gender. There's no prohibition, technically. Of, it's not an issue of gender being on that side of gender. The issue is specifically. What the halachas discusses about mechitzas, and any male knows this, whatever denomination you are, that, um, or any female knows this just as well, you're distracted if someone, if there's a pretty woman while you're saying Shema, you know, you're, you're distracted during your prayers. So the whole pur- purpose of mechitza is, dist- is an issue of distraction. So what, what I would propose is that even if, assuming halacha, let's say, says the person is the opposite gender, let's say a person's transgender, they're just cross-dressed, and they're, but they're, they look like sometimes you'll have a very pretty uh, transgender um, people identify as female. They're male, but they're identified. They're, they have male genitalia, but they're identified as female. So the problem is it could be a distraction. It's just as much a distraction. So even if even if halacha, let's say yeah, this says they're male, the question is if you put them on the male side of the pizza, you, you still have the issue of distraction. That's what I'm proposing. I mean, if, he's, if he is dressed like a like she. A she so maybe you'll have Wouldn't a Wouldn't that be a problem for Halakha in the first place for he to dress like a well, she? Well, we're going to talk about that, yes. But I'm saying, but assuming... Then it got that way, that would be sort of a problem. But isn't the primary distraction the people talking to each other? The men talking to each other? We're not talking. We're not talking about talking. We're general talking to each other more than the women. Of course, listen, there are many distractions in the synagogue. Yeah, also gossiping is a problem. Yeah, but it's probably a topic for the next month. Everything is distracted. What I'm saying is if you have a pretty transgender, it could be just as much distraction. What I'm saying is, it's a different question than the minion question. The minion is the question, do we define this person as male or female? The, the mechitza's question is a question of distraction. Okay, it's not a question of def- definition of gender. That's my point. So it's a slightly different so, issue. I have a question. Yeah. And I'm going to ask one question that it seems like it isn't. Sure. Can you knowingly marry a woman who does not have kids? Um, that's a good, a very good question. So, according to strict halacha, yeah, so no, if you have, if you haven't fulfilled the obligation of procreation yet, then it's a problem. No, it's, unless you're taking two wives. 
Um, so, so meaning technical meaning, you know, you have a mitzvah to have children. So until you fulfill that mitzvah, you have to have a mate. Meaning, obviously, you know, you know, but so technically speaking, you have to fulfill the mitzvah. You have an obligation to fulfill the mitzvah. So, where I'm going with this is, okay, I'm a, today I'm a man, but tomorrow I decide I'm a woman, yeah. and I'm gonna get married to this guy over here. Yeah. Can I get married? Can that guy marry me? Because now I'm a woman. So, so we'll talk about it. We'll see in a second. It's very relevant to this topic, which is just because a female change gets gender reassigned to a male does not affect their fertility per se. Because they don't, they only externally change the, they build, they don't cut, oh, so you they don't the first, remove you the uterus. They get the first meal to have a baby. That could just be, I mean, it depends on the five males. That's already happened. Because I'm really a female. I mean, I have female body parts, but I that think I'm a male, happened. so therefore I'm a male that have Right, so oh, we'll, wow. we'll talk about, so this is a good so point, David. So David, that's a very good point, so we'll get there, it's very relevant to this topic in a second. So, so just to start off with, we're, we're um, so the, the, so there, there are a few options here to put down when, the, when it comes to the concept of androgynous and tumtum, those two categories we discussed earlier, so the, in halacha, there's actually four opinions as to how do we categorize them. Um, the, the options in within the different views in Alachar, one is, again, it's not transgender, this is the ambiguous genitalia and androgynous or maphrodite person. <laughs> so number, option number one is on top of the page there, male. Option number two is part male, part female. Option number three is safik, which means is halacha is not sure. At the time, the Jewish law will say we really don't know. This is one of those cases, according to the Raman, at least, at least, we don't know how to classify this person. Are they male or female? Halacha says we're not sure. There's very few times you find that within within Halacha. And option number four is what's called a bria bifneyatzman. I mean, it's, it's a new category, non-male, non-female, which is what... Tra- uh, third gender. A third gender, which is what Wikipedia said, according to some, is transgender defines that. So Halacha has that category, too. We're not sure. Um, we're, now we're not sure, sorry. Not sure it's category is option three. This is a fourth option. We're saying they're ne- neither within halacha, neither male nor female, which means, and the application of that would be, in both option number three and four, is that they receive the what we call the chumrah, the stringencies of both being male and female. So, for example, they couldn't marry another male um, because then it would be a homosexual relationship, and they might be since they might be male. Um, they, they, they would consider that a homosexual relationship, which would be problematic. And they could marry another female, because as, as, as we discussed, I think, here in the past, two females, biblically speaking, is not a prohibition. Lesbianism, only male homosexuality is what the Torah addresses. The Torah doesn't address female homosexuality. Um, and according to most, there's no biblical prohibition. They don't condone it, it's not a good thing, but it's not, it's, it's clearly not a biblical prohibition. Um, and one of the reasons the Talmud discusses because because there's not much you know, there's not much two females can do. There's no act of sexual intercourse that they can do there. Really so they can, okay, so so there's not much in in because again when uh, the only thing that's prohibited biblically is the act of there's no prohibition of being homosexual. Is the prohibition is the act of homosexuality of having sexual intercourse with a with a male. Okay, for male to have um, to do a sexual act with another male, with females, it's, since that's not possible, so there's no biblical prohibition. And that's largely yes. based off uh, a verse in the Torah. Sodom and no, no, it's a verse in the Torah. The Torah says a male shall not lie with a male as a female. That's the verse in, in two places in Deuteronomy. So it's, so it's sp- says specifically male. No, 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 that was no, just a, another instance where they that's just a story. how bad it was. That's just a nice story in the Torah. That's not a, that's not a command. That's not a prohibition. Oh, that's not really a nice story. It's a nice story. Yes. Okay, so, uh, so now, so, this, so that's as far as the category. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that applies soon. So now, um, the point is like this. So let's begin. That was just the introduction. I will try to get to that. Okay, so now the, the the first thing to understand is this is my own thoughts. Uh, I, I think it's very clear. This is um, very clear within the Torah that every almost everything in the world, as we see, is very defined in male and female terms. Except actually, what's fascinating is the beginning. People don't know this. When Adam was created, people we all familiar. Everyone gets their information from the internet or the movie, or from Sunday school, which is even worse. Which, uh, so they don't realize, people think that, uh, you know, the famous story is Adam was created as a male and then God took his rib and made, created Chava, the, the Eve, 
made her uh, made the female. Oh, I read the story that Adam, they didn't create Eve; they created Steve. That's a different story. Not for today. That's a different class. So the uh, so the point is so if you look in the Torah itself, it's fascinating. In the verse quoted here in Genesis, it says something different. It says God created man in His image. Um, number one on the sheet in your sources. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. So it talks about the original creation of Adam as a them, plural form. So the Midrash explains that to me. Um, if you look at number two, it says, Rebiriam, the son of Eliezer, said, When the Holy One, blessed be, He created Adam, He created him a hermaphrodite. So Adam was created with male and female genitalia. As it is stated, male and female, He created them, and He called their name Adam. So what the Midrash explains is that originally Adam was created as a hermaphrodite with male and female genitalia, and then God actually split him down the middle. So one part, I don't know, I'm assuming it's a Jewish marriage, the front was the female, because as we know, females leave. Right, so, so the front was female, the, the back was male, um, whatever the case was. But in either case, Adam had, had, was a hermaphrodite originally. Okay, but once he separated them, so as um, the Torah clearly um, defines in very black and white terms, male, the concept of male and female, sorry, and, um, and the, throughout the Torah we, we find pretty very clear definitions of male and female, um, and not just in the human, obviously, for humans, for in the animal kingdom, you know, there's male and female, in the, even in the plant kingdom, even in Home Depot, right? I learned, uh, right, uh, when you go to Home Depot, you, you, they always ask you, a male part, a female part? Never knew what that meant, right? Um, but, but everything in this world, in, in the, I think, I, I believe it's God designed to be male and female, very black and white. Um, so, and I think today part of the agenda of this movement, not to, again, so like we're saying, not to say that uh, we have to be sensitive to, to, to these people, and there's obviously it's a very sensitive issue, but um, there clearly is a, an agenda on certain parts of society, um, Western society, to change that, and to, that there's no such thing as gender is irrelevant. Um, this day and age, you know, you can, you're, you know, you make sure your six-month-old male start playing with Barbie, Barbie dolls, and and there's very to blur those lines between between genders. I think is is what's happening today, which I think I, I believe is anti-Torah, but I, I'm not going to digress there. Um, in that sense, um, meaning that whole thing is that there's a lot of this big movement to what they call the post-gender movement. The gender is irrelevant in society. Everything is we're all the same. Again, I believe the Torah is that there, there are very clear, distinct roles for genders, equal, but, but very distinct, different roles. So whatever, that's, that's not illegal, so we're not going to go there. But getting back to the legal part um, is just as far as, in the case of, of reassignment surgery, there's getting, getting just focusing on that for a second just to get that out of the way. In a case where someone is going to have the surgery, again, if a male, in a case where males becoming female, there's at least no less than probably three biblical violations um, for having that surgery for a male. Okay, first and foremost is a not such a well-known law. Number three here, which is um, the verse in Leviticus, uh, in Pasha Emar discusses, and even this is even for animals, it's actually in the context of animals, okay, that castration is a biblical prohibition for any species, whether it be animal or human. So if you have a pet, it's actually an issue in Jewish law that you can't spay or neuter your pet. Of course, there's loopholes, and there's ways to go about it. If you, you know, which, like in all, in all good Jewish law, there's always a loophole. So, so, um, so the, but, but the point is, so the, the Torah says very clearly, this is in the context of a bringing a, a offering. So it says like this in Leviticus, it says, one whose testicles, it's referring to an animal, are squeezed, crushed, torn, or cut, you shall not offer to Hashem. And then the Torah goes on to say, nor shall you do these in your land. Okay, so meaning, and the, and the Talmud interprets that to mean that this is prohibited not just for offerings, for any animal, okay, to do this, I means to spay and neuter an animal. Actually, I remember this is around 14 years ago, and I, uh, I got a, a message on my machine once from a, this guy, leaves me a message, says, Robert Grossman, my name is so-and-so, um, I own a ranch in North Houston, and uh, I heard you're an expert in castration, I need to ask you a... <laughs> I lost a question. <laughs> so uh, I didn't so much I didn't say the message, but I didn't want my wife to hear it and get nervous. But um, but the, the the point is, so I called the guy back. It's an interesting question. He had, he 
he raises, he has a ranch where he raises animals, exotic animals, for commercials that are used in commercials on TV. And he was, he was an observant Jew and he, he knew there was an issue with castration, neutering your animals. So he was calling me with uh, how to do it properly. So I don't know how I got my number. <laughs> so I, I, afterwards I made business cards, you know, expert in castration. <laughs> and it scares people off. Um, <laughs> so uh, in any case, the, the point is, so this is, it's actually a biblical prohibition. Um, so, so the issue is if someone is having gender reassignment surgery, again, from male to female, Clearly, that you're snipping. You're gonna have to snip and cut, which is, which is we're saying is a is a is a problem here in the Torah. Um, now, female to male, interestingly enough. So, what about the other way? So, what I've read is, so first of all, it's not from this verse very clearly. It's discussing male genitalia. Um, there is, there are, there is a minority opinion. The Vilna Gaon is of the opinion that the same prohibition would apply to females, meaning that if you snip and cut females. It also would be a biblical provision, although most of them already say it's not rabbinical. It's only rabbinically prohibited. But in any case, in current reassignment surgery, the way I understand it is, like I was mentioning before, and that's what David to address your question. There's no, you don't have to remove the reproductive organs of the female to make them into males. So they're only building on the outside. It's only external. So they have, they still have the uterus, their fallopian tubes. Everything remains intact inside. So then, so technically, they, there's no, there's no removing of the reproductive organs, so it wouldn't apply. This prohibition wouldn't apply in any case. Um, so, so that's what's interesting to note. So there's no, as far as this is concerned, so if your going part, female if to your male, male wouldn't be an issue. If your male partner is not Jewish, and you're the male who, say you're two males. The, yeah, the, you're, you're the male with the women parts on the inside, and you carry the baby. Is the baby Jewish? Very good question. I don't know. I didn't think about that. Um, so well, again, meaning say, no, I'm saying if they're really well, it will depend on this question. If they're halachically defined, anyway, well, so say have halachically defined as as female, so then it's, if we believe it, matrilineal descent, so then the baby will be Jewish. No, but halachically is you are what your your equipment is. We didn't say that. We never said that. Well, here you got both Maybe equipment. you believe it. Here you got both we equipment. didn't say that. Here you got both equipment. <laughs> Yet. You got male and female equipment. No, but I'm saying well, which one's yeah, which one's person born with. Huh? We have to see again which how we define it. We didn't get to the answer. But are, are there situations where a person has both ovaries and testicles? Med normally, naturally, or with surgery? Normally, either. So yeah, either, so that's yeah. that. Yeah. That would so be that would kid. be androgynous. That would be androgynous. So yeah, Hermaphrodite so has, has, has both. Could have both. An hermaphrodite could have both sets of genitalia. Is that inbreeding? Naturally. <clears throat> That's a possibility. It's rare, but it's, it's possible. We're going to talk about that soon. Yeah. Okay. Actual cases. Um, okay. So. So now. So now. No, you can't say it to yourself. Okay. 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 Al, 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 it's lunchtime. We don't ruin anyone's appetite. Try not to ruin. People. So. That's the male part of you talking. The female say no. So by the way, so before, so that's another. So question, issue number two here. You turn to the back here. Um, biblical issue number three. I'm going to skip the middle here. But um, is is as I can't remember her name. Yeah. Sorry, Margot. Margot. Margo. Sorry. So my mind for a second. Margot Margo mentioned. Her name's Larry now. Yeah. Margot, as Margot mentioned, <laughs> there's another biblical prohibition is in cross-dressing. Cross-dressing in itself is, believe it or not, biblically prohibited. So it means this concept of transsexual, meaning of of, of someone of one gender dressing as the opposite gender, in itself is a prohibition. Okay, we'll discuss in a second. So, so women shouldn't put on a tally then? Well, let's we'll get there. That's different. No, it's different. No, it's yeah. sure we'll discuss it. It's a good point. We'll get there in a second. One second. Put in the Torah. You just said that. One second. So cross-dressing. Right? It says like this. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man wear a woman's garment. Okay, and, and the next part, I didn't quote it here for top of the page. I didn't quote the next no verse because of, I want to be PC, but it says it, it is a perversion. Okay, um, that's the end of the verse. The point is, the Torah very clearly is concerned specifically with the intent of someone trying to be perceived as the opposite gender. Okay, that's really, the, that's clear, the intent of the verse. Um, as that's why, for example, let's say on Purim or Halloween, you are allowed to dress up as the opposite gender because it's understood it's just in jest and there's no intent really to be perceived as the opposite gender. So now, What's interesting is the Talmud takes this verse and expands on it and doesn't limit it specifically to cross-dressing. 
it's to any quote unquote a male cannot perform a female act quote unquote or a female so for example and, and this by the way it's fa what's fascinating about this law is it's subjective to society meaning not that the Torah is never subjective to society but the definition of what is male clothing what is female so for example uh, it used to be uh, 200 years ago there was no such thing as a as a woman wearing pants pants was a male garment therefore a woman at that point if a woman would wear pants it would be a violation of law today almost all halakhic authorities say say that there's no problem with wearing pants because because it's, in western society at least it's now it's a female garment it's no longer male garment if you live in Iran or Pakistan or Egypt, so it still would be a violation. Skirts too. Oh, exactly. So you know, if you're a guy in, in Ireland, in Scotland, wearing a, a kilt, it, it's permitted. But if you live in Bel Air and you wear a kilt, then that's not a good thing. I mean, for many reasons. Unless you're Irish. Yeah, even if you're Irish. No, I'm saying you, you might. And they have their own tartan, by the way. Yeah, it's a tartan. So, so yeah, so the point is like this. So it's, it's subjective to society in the sense of society will define is this female. Actually, a classic example of this would be the Talmud discusses that he, in those days females would not walk out with weapons. It was not a only males carry weapons. Okay, so therefore, for a female to walk out with a weapon in, the, in those times, Talmudic times, would be considered a, a, a male act. Okay, but in Texas, where they make uh, pink guns, you can buy a pink Smith & Wesson for your wife today. So then, obviously, it's no longer a male act, right? Um, some of the best, even in the Israeli army, some of the, be the best sniper in Israel, the Israeli army, is a female. Okay. So, so the so it's no longer a, a quote unquote a male act anymore. Therefore, now it's permitted for females to carry weapons. Okay. So, so the point is, so here it becomes an issue. That's another issue. So now, obviously, someone's having gender reassignment surgery. That would be the extreme case of cross dressing. Obviously, um, that's uh, that's the extreme uh, cross dress. But even without that, what we're saying is, just dressing up as the opposite gender would be technically a biblical violation. Now, the, the way society is headed, um, maybe in 15 years from now, it will be part of no, the norm in society that everyone will cross-dress. And so then, technically, the law might change in that sense. Okay. Oh, well, I'm um, sure there are people doing it now, but I would. Oh, people doing it, but the question is society. Shocked to see people doing it. I don't know. You know, they just. Synagogue. <laughs> well, I don't know. Society. That's a good question. How is society defined? That's a. It's a very good question. Do we define society by Jewish society or by the general world society? Just like the colors in the ladies Nikes better. So, so, but, but interestingly enough, just to show you where society is holding to today, society, Medicaid yeah. today, I just want to point this out, just to, to realize, um, to understand our society, Medicaid today will pay, is obligated, and I think, Alan, Alan, you got to listen to this, Medicaid is obligated to pay for gender reassignment surgery in most states, I believe it's most states, they will pay, it depends on states, well, it's obligated to pay. If you have, if a couple needs infertility treatment, Medicaid will not pay for it. It's around the same price. Probably actually infertility is cheaper than gender reassignment. If you need gender reassignment, or if you want gender reassignment, so your Medicaid is obligated to pay. So just to show you, so clearly there's a, there's society is <laughs> moving in a certain direction. What's worse um, is we pay for people in prison, incarcerated people, to have gender genders altered. All right. Maybe that will make Do you go to the women's prison then, though? Yeah. yeah. I guess if you're male and you have a change, uh, maybe that'll make them less uh, uh, commit less crimes. The the maybe they'll commit less crimes in the future. Probably not. <laughs> well, a male can become a female, or a female can become a male. I can't think I can hold my own in a. We're gonna have gender neutral prisons because it's it's not fair to discriminate between males and females. So you should have gender neutral prisons. Okay, okay, let's let's stick to the law. So now. So again, so this would be another major issue. It would be this cross-dressing issue. So I want to point out that I, so in the research of this class, I called this rabbi Boka. I was saying he showed me some amazing stuff that I found, uh, just uh, uh, not for CLE class, but Kabbalistically, just to show you how sensitive the issue is. He showed me, he sent me Kabbalistic sources discussing the concept of souls. Um, I, don't, I don't think we can get credit for this part of the discussion. I'm not sure the state power to prove this, but so, so this so that. Uh, Kabbalah talks about souls, a male soul coming down into a female body. I mean, souls are also defined as male and female. Okay, your neshama, your soul. So, the, so this, uh, the Kabbalah talks about how it's actually in some cases it refers to it as punishment, 
not going to go there, but but it says that uh, that uh, it's possible for a male soul to be sent down and or vice versa into put into a female body. So according to this, it's very clear this might be in a certain sense what we're seeing today. A lot more of this in the sense of there really is the concept of uh, a male or a female trapped in the opposite gender body because you can your soul is one gender, but your your anatomy is another gender. And your soul is really restless. That's who you are. So the concept of fasting does exist within Jewish writings. Um, um, just pointing that out. It's, good. it's a fascinating fact to be aware. If anyone wants the sources, I'll give you that. Um, so the uh, so the issue is like this. So I found two two actually two sources. Um, again, the question would be: if someone changes gender, or before we get to the perceived gender, how does that? How would Jewish law define them in that sense? Are they now their new gender? Then, uh, meaning are they, their gender they were born with? How, what criteria do we use to define gender? So I found this is an early authority. Again, this is written around 1000s. This is the Ibn Ezra on the verse in Leviticus discussing the prohibition of homosexuality. So he quotes a Rabbeinu Hanano, who is a, again a, a Rishon, an early authority, lived probably 900s, 1000s, in fact. He says like this, he says, states that intercourse between a man and another man in whom the sexual organs of a woman have been fashioned. So this is the ten hundreds. Clearly they had some form of, of sex way, change. Yeah, sex change even then. Constitutes a violation of the biblical prohibition of sodomy, despite the presence of apparently female sexual organs. So what he's saying is if you have a man became somehow fashioned woman's uh, female genitalia, and now that that original man or current female now has relations with another male, it would still be considered an act of homosexuality. So he's clearly defining, he's saying the, the fact that you now have a new set of genitalia doesn't change your gender legally. You're still defined as male in this case, and therefore it's still a violation, um, according to this opinion. Who's a violation against? Are both men culpable in the violation? Yeah, yeah um, it's to both, well. both parties. Yes. Okay, okay. The point is, so that's that's one source I found. Now there's a fascinating response I found in contemporary times. This was a uh, someone by the name of Rabbi Waldenberg, he has a fifteen volume set of responses on medical ethics issues. Um, he he li he was the rabbi. Of, he lived across the street from Shari Tzedek Hospital in Jerusalem. He was, so he was the, brilliant. Yeah, yeah I knew. So, I mean, so, I didn't know. Uh, but I'm saying yes. Yeah, so Shari Tzedek. I forgot that connection. He's a, he's a connection. Yeah. Shari Tzedek. So he so this uh, rabbi wrote. He had a case come to him where the, the case was you had a it was a child who was born female seemingly externally was totally female. After six months, I guess they suspected something was wrong. And they did chromosomal testing and hormonal testing, and they found that this was really the child was really male, even though the external genitalia was female, and the and they also discovered that there was a testy one test inside internally um, that hadn't descended. So, but the external genitalia was completely female. So the question posed to the rabbi was, can they do surgery to to remove the testy? which in essence would be a violation of castration, as we said, and consider this child female. Can we consider this child female for the rest of, you know, as far as category is concerned? So the rabbi in his response says a fascinating thing, very uh, important principle within Jewish law, um, which he says is, he, see, he, consider, he says the child's considered female, even though there's a testing, even though chromosomally and genetically um, and hormonally even, I'm not sure if they test hormones, the child was male, he says like this, he says that the principle within Jewish law is the Torah, the Talmud discusses that the Torah wasn't given to, we're human beings, we're all considered human. And therefore, as humans, even though of course we use technology and we use medicine and we use whatever we can to decide legal issues and halachic issues, but we can only know what exists, what we see as human beings with the naked eye. So for example, the classical example of this is if you take this bottled water, I'm not sure if this is spring water, probably not, it comes from a faucet, but um, but if you put this under a microscope, right? The Torah, as we know, prohibits, for example, eating insects. Okay, insects are not kosher. 
Now, if you put this water under a microscope, you're going to see amoebas in this water. There are insects in this water, believe it or not. Okay, if you ever did that in high school. Okay. That brand is worse. Um, so now, so the point is, there, there clearly are things crawling around in here. If you see them, you, if I've seen it on the microscope, there are amoebas. And why you're allowed to drink it? The Torah prohibits eating, drinking, or eating insects, ingesting insects. So the answer is, um, and the many responses written on them on this topic is if you can't see it with the naked eye again since we're human the Torah could only require us from what we see with as human beings with the naked eye we're not obligated to go and use a you know hundred times power microscope to before we drink our water or eat our lettuce if you can't see it it's as it doesn't exist halakhically or in that sense legally okay another example of this would be um, they discuss right if you know if there's one break in the letter in the Sefer Torah there's a crack in the letter, it invalidates the whole Sefer Torah. One letter in the Sefer Torah. So until uh, 20 years ago, you had this old sofa, would, every seven years or whatever, 10 years, would have to go through the whole Sefer Torah and find, find, you know, sometimes you'd find a letter with a crack, but usually not. Now today, the, you, within a half hour, you scan in, they have computer programs, you scan the Sefer Torah, and almost every single, 100% of the time, you're going to find multiple cracks in letters. But halachically, what they say is it's not a problem because that's not your obligation. Your obligation is you have to check as human beings with the naked eye. Well, whatever we can see, we don't use, we don't need to use or not obligated to use technology. Um, by the way, it's the same thing they discuss with um, infertility. You brought it up before, meaning if someone has fertility problems. Okay, so even though there's a mitzvah to procreate, everyone, all the authorities today say you don't, you're not obligated to go ahead and spend uh, and, and try to spend $70,000 in vitro, even though it's possible. Because your obligation is as a human being to go the natural method and to, to procreate. Because the mitzvah is trying to procreate. You can't, not everyone can have children. So you're not obligated. It's a, it's a nice thing. You want to do it. Spend your money to have children is a beautiful thing, but you're not, there's no obligation to do it. Okay, it's a similar thing, meaning technology doesn't obligate us to change uh, what we can see and what we are, what the facts are as regular human beings. So says Rabbi Wolfenberg here too, so he says the external genitalia is what this person is. The person is defined by their external genitalia. The fact that we now have technology, we can, we can know XY chromosome and what the person is internally doesn't change the halachic fact, is what he says. So therefore, this child is female, and you can remove the testes. There's no castration issue. So Wallenberg, female child. You are what your equipment says you are. Exactly. Now, what's interesting is based on this, and we're out of time, but I'll just finish off. That what's interesting is so the people, the the pro, uh, I guess you know, the people who want to bring a proof from this response, and that he's really saying is someone has gender reassignment surgery. Now they're what their new equipment says they are. Halachically, because he's saying all we know is what we can see. So now, if this was a prior female and now has male equipment, um, so so now we will we'll define this person as male. Right. True. So that's so, the question. So meaning. So you changed. Right. So that's the question. So others say no. He, so he of course, is talking about a case where medically there was a requirement. There was a medical issue here where the child was born with what the child has. Medically, they had to. You know, so, so is that different or not? So that there's a debate how to apply this response to contemporary because when he, this was written in 1971, probably existed sexual reassignment surgery. It did exist at the time, but I don't think he, he wasn't addressing that. He was addressing really this specific case, a medical need. So how that applies. So, but this clearly, his opinion would seem to, in a certain sense, if what we're saying is true, contradict Rabbeinu Hananel, the previous opinion. Because Rabbeinu Hananel is saying, listen, this person has female genitalia, it's irrelevant. Since originally they were born as male, we consider them male, and it's a homosexual act. He seems to be saying, no, whatever they are externally at this point, that's what they are. So, that's so when was when was his response in the 1970s? 71, I believe. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's I, I think his, his response is, Waldenberg's is correct, that you are what your equipment says you are. Oh, but yeah, again, the, the question is, so, that, you so you're agreeing... If you else, then you can have a gender-neutral bathroom for those people. No, what I'm saying is, so you're agreeing that if you change your equipment, then you'd be your new equipment? Well, I really wouldn't be interested in that person, but I just have a problem with guys going to use women's No, I'm saying, forget the bathrooms. Are you serious? Well, are you proof that's what you're... Huh? So are you agreeing to that, that if someone changes their equipment? Yeah, I'll have no, I probably don't know any of those people, but it's all right. No. Rabbi, which opinion do we go with? Because it seems like number four so, or five are contradicting. So again, most so, so most opinions today will say. Which is your orthodox opinion? So, 
There's no orthodox. So most now, so there I have seen that it has been addressed in other areas. So there's another problem is that what about Yashav? I see the big one of the biggest halachkatar is discussed. It was asked this question again, not in gender assignment per se, but in a, again in a child in a medical case. He says very clearly that a female becoming a male, he says, if it's not a functioning piece of equipment, which in most cases, even today with all the technology, they still can't make it function. It has to be pumps and all this other stuff. It's not a functioning um, piece of equipment in the real sense of the word. And therefore, he says, it's not, therefore it's nothing. It's, it's basically what they do is they take tissue from another part of the body and they just build a male genitalia. He says, that's nothing. That's just tissue. It's not, until it's, fun, unless it's functioning piece of equipment, it's not considered male genitalia, halakhically at least he's saying. Again, the legal aspects, I don't know, legally <laughs> haven't decided yet on how it works. Um, what's interesting, and this is just discussing the, the philosophy of it, this is a fascinating article I suggest, suggested reading from two, three weeks ago, Wall Street Journal, on May 13th, from a professor, Dr. Paul McHugh, who was, John Hopkins, by the way, um, was the pioneer in the United States of of uh, tr- uh, gender reassignment surgery in yeah. study this year, 2016, a few weeks ago. So this was this is the former psych- head of psychiatry in John Hopkins. was very involved in studies involved, involving gender reassignment. He had a fascinating article where he discusses here that we're not helping these people by um, transsexuals and other people who want gender reassignment. He says, he, he calls it, and wants to see that. Yeah, it's a, he, he says it's a, it's a fascinating concept. He says it's what's called the disorder of assumption, which means that just like you have an anorexic who looks in the mirror and thinks they're obese, he says they're assuming they're, they're obese. So now you're not going to help them by telling them, yes, you are obese. He says this, he calls this, this is a, that's not a sexual disorder, it's an order, disorder of assumption where people are assuming they're of a different gender. So he says for many of them, and he says, of course, you have to take on a case-by-case basis, but you're not helping them by now transforming them into what they think they are, because they really are not that. So the question is, are we helping these people, or are we not helping these people by doing that, by giving them their bathrooms? Just because someone assumes that they are something else, he says, they need real help. It's a sensitive issue, and he discusses any, any quotes studies done by John Hopkins and in Sweden, where after gender reassignment surgery, by the way, even, even in the medical field today, they have what's called RLT. That means for a year prior to any competent doctor doing surgery, you have to live the life of the other gender. Mm-hmm. It's called RLT, where it's real life. So we have to live. So the point is, he, he quotes many. He quotes two two studies: one from John Hopkins, one from Swedish study. That even the most, most, they have to look at the exact numbers. Forty-one percent, I think, he says, of people who've had gender reassignment surgery, uh, ten years after surgery, are not happy and and uh, uh, attempt suicide. Even ten years after surgery. So it's a pretty, it's a scary thing. What's going on? I Meaning, are we helping them? But is some of that because of the surgery, or is some of that because of the psychological impact? Yeah, and could because be of because the way society, society yeah, treats them. Hundred percent. A lot yeah. of it is how society. And by the way, this is—he's not a, obviously this well, is a minority opinion. There are many people who don't agree with him, obviously. Um, so it's a, it's a very controversial opinion, but it's something worth exploring. Meaning, we need to know what is the correct way in our society to deal with these people. Are, what's the way to help them? They need to be helped. Question is, are we helping them by giving and and by saying yes, you're correct, and you are the agenda you're assuming? Or are we not helping them, or is there another? And again, I'm not a physician, I'm not, so I don't tend to know the answer. I'm just saying it's something that needs to be explored. It's I not a simple topic. I believe I read that article, and one of the things that it addresses that's kind of the, the more pressing. It's not people that it's focused on; it's children. So it talks yes, about withholding uh, certain hormones for children. So if you think your 10-year-old's a boy, right, a girl, they'll, they'll try to suppress his male hormones right. so we can which, which can confuse. Listen, a 10-year-old's so role confused. You're Some of us are still confused. Right? Enabling it is what you're saying. You're saying children, hey, an 18-year-old, 25-year-old, do what you want, but you can Ten-year-old. Right, so it's a, it's a scary topic. Listen, it's a very. The bottom line is, we. Are, I think. I think the medical community is still confused, and, and everyone else is confused, and we're trying to figure it out. Um, and it's very scary when you have people pushing agendas on both sides of the, of the coin. Because until we figure this out, I don't think the government should be pushing any one side. That's a good article. That article is. Oh, Medicaid does pay. For it's easier to reassign it if they yeah, say it's always easier. Ten-year-old boy, they suppress your growth hormone. It's always easier to make to make to snip and cut than to build. Okay, well, this one becomes worse again. 
I heard that too. Right, so by the way, it's something also yeah, important to know. People, I read an article saying that, zero, that uh, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner has, he stands to make something like, like uh, $800 million on the movie rights and the book rights to his story. So I told someone, someone told me, he showed me this article, I said, it's not worth it for all that money that these people have to go through. And, and unfortunately, it's, it's like I was saying, it's very... It's, a, it's painful for these people. Yeah, and with, even for eight hundred million dollars, I'm not sure it's worth. That's why he changed you know, going he through all that. He didn't lop off so his finger. He, he didn't go all the way. I, I don't know. If he, he's maybe in the process of doing it. Anyway. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.